Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Would you guys join with me in prayer? God, thank you so much that you are our captain, and that you guide us, and that you lead us in life. Um, I pray this morning that as we uh, dive into uh, some scripture, that you would be that. You would be our captain that would guide us and lead us and drive us to conclusions that, that are true and represent your character and your love well, God. We love you so much. Amen. Awesome. Grab a seat, guys. Uh, welcome here. Like Doug said, we are in our second last week of our Colossians series. It's uh, seemed and felt like a little bit of a journey, eight weeks of this series, and uh, you know, it's been awesome. I hope you guys have been enjoying it. I've loved getting to uh, dive deeper into Colossians and, and spend all these weeks doing this. And so, um, as you can see this morning, we uh, decided to do a panel again when we were planning out the series. We thought we might do that a couple times. We did that uh, two weeks ago, and then uh, today we're uh, going to kind of take that approach again. And um, kind of before we start, I want to say really quickly, um, you know, the... One of the reasons we do the panel is, well, there are many reasons. A couple of them are, you know, a thousand Sundays from now, we don't want to look back and say, well, we just did the exact same thing for a thousand Sundays because we, we, we couldn't think creative, creatively at all. Um, but also, you know, I know in a panel context, it's maybe a little bit harder to kind of find maybe sometimes that one main takeaway, that one main point um, is kind of a put-together sermon, you know, because we're just kind of getting together and discussing the text together and illuminating the room together like that. Um, but, uh, you know, that's... Uh, but what, one of the, our goals and our hopes is just that we can offer and model a, a cool approach to what it looks like to get together with other believers and, and dig into Scripture and, and kind of handle that well, kind of model some decent hermeneutics and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, anyways, uh, we're going to uh, get started right away here uh, with the passage here. So, um, yeah. Uh, do, does someone have a desire to read? We're in Colossians 3.18 to 4.1. Uh, does someone have a burning desire to be the reader this morning? Sure, I'll read. Okay, awesome. Uh, let me just say before I do, I just I want to thank these guys and the rest of the uh, worship teams uh, throughout the weeks for uh, just their investment into us and uh, the way they lead us in worship. Uh, it's always, uh, on top of that, it's always a special treat for me to see Talisee up here. And, and uh, these guys are here at 8 in the morning and uh, practicing. They're here in the middle of the week, and they're using God's gifts and abilities to just just add to our, our, our morning to turn our hearts and our spirits towards God. And so I just want to say thank you to you guys and to all the rest of the teams out there. That's okay. awesome. I like, that, I, I, I like that Darren and I were up there. We're still up here, and you specifically mentioned Talisi, so thanks for that. It's kind <laughs> I of totally a get it. subliminal totally message get it. there. But. Anyways, Gord, why don't you read for us? Uh, like, uh, as always, grab a Bible if you want or turn it on your phone or else you can follow along on the screens. Colossians 3, beginning at verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. 
Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with a sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Uh, you have uh, a great reading voice, Gord. I was just kind of thinking while I was listening to you, you know, like on the Bible app, how it reads to you, you should, you should apply. Between you and Morgan Freeman, I don't know who I'd rather hear the Bible from, so <laughs> sounds good. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, a bit going on here. Um, maybe uh, before we dive right in, we could start with kind of some initial thoughts, um, maybe on the passage overall, or, or what a good approach is to when we, we haven't come to a passage like this yet in this book, and so what, what's maybe a good approach to that, or what are your thoughts, or, you know, whatever kind of opening remarks, Mr. Speakers. <laughs> yeah, uh, Right off the hop, when I looked at the passage and I was like, oh man, this is uh, culturally uh, a difficult passage to go through. Uh, it ruffles a lot of feathers, a lot of them. And, and so I was looking at it and I was like, okay, so I really need to, to wrap my mind, mind around what is being said and why it's being said and, and what, the, what the original writer meant and what the original readers heard and, and all of that stuff, and I really had to get back into what was the culture then as opposed to how I would read it with my own cultural bias. Um, and because, yeah, I, I read this and right off the hop, I'm like, okay, some people are not going to like this. Probably had similar feelings when I first took a look at the passage. When the first two words are wives submit, you, you realize that you're jumping into the deep end here. Um, <laughs> I remember a prof that I had many, many years ago, and uh, he, he made a statement in class. I can't remember virtually anything else he said, uh, but, but he said this. He said, when you can't understand, the, when you can't see or understand the hand of God, you can always trust the heart of God. And that, that saying has come back to my mind a lot of times in life. Um, when I'm wondering about what God's doing, or sometimes when I'm reading Scripture and I, I wonder, my initial impression is, ooh, what's God saying here? This, this, this seems harsh. This seems maybe sexist in this situation. But um, I, I learned not to panic there, to realize that, that I can trust the heart of God. And if I just dig deeper, if I, if I gain the perspective across Scripture on this particular subject, it's going to straighten out my thinking. And uh, so that was kind of my initial thoughts. For sure. And, you know, like Darren said, I mean, Paul's writing a letter to people 2,000 years ago that live in a very different world, and probably for most of us, thankfully, uh, than we do now. And we have to understand that he's writing to them, but there's still something in here for us. And I guess one of my biggest encouragements, I mean, I agree with what you guys have said, one of my biggest encouragements when you face a difficult passage, a lot of the times I think it's easy to, you know, a couple options. One, you just kind of like skirt past it. You're kind of like, oh, okay, that's weird go past it. Or, or sometimes, you know, you just kind of like, just don't think about it at all. Um, but one of the biggest problems, I think, is that sometimes we approach the Bible with our own uh, th feelings and thoughts and opinions, and we try to make it fit into there. So 
uh, in hermeneutics, which is biblical interpretation, there are two words. One's exegesis, and that's approaching the Bible to let the Bible read into our lives, let the truth of the Bible come into our lives and change our lives. And then there's eisegesis, and what that is is taking our own predilections, our own presuppositions, our own ideas and desires, and coming to Scripture and trying to make it sound and say what we say. So we're going to be going through some kind of cultural, secondary things this morning and offering some ideas, but our biggest encouragement is to always approach Scripture with an open mind. I mean, we're approaching an ancient text that we believe, you know, is inspired by God himself, and sometimes you read things that disagree with you, you know, that you're like, ah, that doesn't feel good in our cultural context. That doesn't feel good with my own set of desires and wants and feelings, and that's the point of exegesis. That's the point of Scripture is that it might change you sometimes. Um, but we'll get into this, and then we'll see kind of where you sit with that and uh, encourage you. When you come to passages like this, wrestle with it. Struggle with it. You know, see what the Bible's actually saying, and, the, and then compare that to your life rather than trying to get the Bible to fit into your own uh, kind of mold. So um, there are kind of three couplets here. There's the wives, husbands, children's fathers, and slaves, masters. So maybe we'll take it in chunks like that and just kind of get some thoughts going, have a bit of a conversation about each of these, and uh, maybe that'll be our approach this morning. So the verses 18 and 19, the first two verses, uh, talk about this wives and husband relationship, wives submitting, husbands loving. So um, what, what are your thoughts? What are, what's a healthy approach to, to that passage? It's a difficult passage, I think, like you already referenced. So what do you guys think about that? Uh, yeah, so right off the bat, there's a, there's a parallel to that in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, where Paul is also writing to another church, and he says in, in verse 22, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And, and so I, I use that passage pretty much every time I do a wedding, and I, and I talk about the idea of wives needing to submit and husbands needing to love. And, and I think that um, often when, we, when we're reading this, we are reading with our cultural lenses, and, and we hear the word submit, and um, our haunches go up a little. Because we equate the word submit with uh, obedience, and, and, and dominance, and oppression. And, and that is not the, um, the flavor in which Paul is writing. The idea of submitting, and, and it's really interesting because just before he says that, in, in verse 21 of chapter 5, he says, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. And, and so he's telling Christians that we should be submitting to each other. Husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, you name it. We are to submit to one another. And the idea of submission there isn't just complete obedience and, and just being trampled on, but it's a, a willful choice to place the other person's needs above your own. And, and so he's telling wives this is what you should be doing in your relationship with your husband. You should be placing his needs above your own. But he also says to husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Christ gave his life for the church. So he's saying to husbands, 
lay down your life for your wife. You should love her more than you love yourself. You should submit in that sense to her as well. That you should care about her needs more than you care about your own. Treating her with kindness and gentleness and goodness and all of these things. And, and if a husband is loving his wife properly, then she has no problem submitting. And if a wife is submitting, then a husband has no problem loving. And, and it's really, it's a mutual godly love is what Paul is saying here. I never know. You always kind of like... I just drop you, it. You have these like really anticlimactic so, ends to your sentences. Sorry. So it's happened a lot in first service. So he's like, yeah, and that's what Paul's saying. Boom. <laughs> I, th- like, I, I just, I, the mic is expensive and I don't want to just drop yeah. it. You know? Not, not just, that your idea wasn't like complete and good. I just, I, no, I hear you. Suspense. What about you, Gordon? I think we tend to come to passage like this and we bring all of our own um, definitions and experience and perspectives and we, we place that on the, on, the, on, the script, on the passage and we misread it oftentimes as a result. So, you know, I can imagine... Um, that if you are a woman and you're reading this, uh, you know, it, it could very well feel to you like, like uh, you know, that you're a second-class citizen. Um, you know, what it means to be under authority what, from your own experience. Uh, you, you bring that all to the table and you start, you start reading into this um, issues of value and worth and position and esteem, self-identity. Self uh, but in reality... You, that's where the broader understanding of Scripture is very helpful here because Christianity is, is like the ultimate leveler of the playing field. Listen to this verse written by the same author to a, to a different church in the, in the book of uh, Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, 26. And there Paul says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were, ba- all of you were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there is, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so, the broader understanding of what Scripture preaches in this area, or teaches in this area, is really vital, I think, to understand this passage correctly. So going right back to Genesis, in the creation story, Genesis 1.27 says, God made mankind in his image, or, or person kind, as Justin would say. But he said, God made mankind in his image. In his image, he made them, male and female, he created them. And so he's saying right at the very outset, we learn that both men and women are made with the stamp of the image of God right upon their being. God, remember, is not a, he's not a human. God is spirit. And, and so we learn from that, that that there are attributes of God that, that we as males carry. There are attributes of God that females carry as being stamped in the image of God. And it's when we put the two together that we have the complete picture of the image of God, or at least as complete as we can carry as human beings. So right off the bat, we learn that God loved and valued both men and women so much that he stamped his own image on their creation. Then we see that God so loved the world, God so loved and valued both men and women, that he pursued us when we ran away from him. He, he at great personal cost, he sacrificed 
his life on the cross through the form of Jesus to redeem us, to purchase us back, to bring us back into right relationship with him. God so greatly valued both men and women that he not only set us free, he adopted us into his family. And we sing that song in in church often. We are sons and daughters of God. God so greatly valued us as men and women that he made us joint heirs in the inheritance with Christ. He so greatly valued us as men and women that that in, in the life to follow, if we've placed our faith in him, we will reign and, and live and, and rule with God for eternity. And so in that, we find that the, the issues of identity and worth and position and value for both men and women are sit at the absolute pinnacle of possibility. Nothing could make your, your worth, your value to God any greater than it always already is. And, and, and we see that nothing can diminish that because we are sealed in Christ, it says. And so, you know, we see there that men and women are absolutely equal in their value, in their worth, in their position, in their identity before God. And so once you, you come to terms with that, once you place that as your foundation of understanding, then assuming different roles in a situation becomes much less intimidating. Because we're not looking to those roles to, to define who we are and how valuable we are and how important we are. We, we see the, the same thing in the church. The, the church is described as the body of Christ. And, and it uses the body analogy and it says, you know, different people have different gifts within the church. Not everybody's an eye, not everybody's an ear, not everybody's, and it goes through a few different parts. And it says some are more prominent, some are in positions of, you know, where they're out there and they're more up front. But the bottom line of that is every member of the body is, is essential and valuable. And we see, that, we see it reflected even in God himself where, where even though all three members are, are fully God, we see Jesus submitting to the will of the Father. Not my will, but thine be done. We see God the Holy Spirit deferring to Jesus and, and, and glorifying the Son. And so that doesn't in any way devalue them as, as I mean, they're God. They, their value and worth and, and identity can't rise any higher. And yet they're comfortable in assuming roles uh, that involve uh, taking leadership or submission. And so the same thing is, is inherent in, in, in marriages with that firm understanding that we are all equal in Christ, uh, then we are free to assume different roles using the strengths and the uniquenesses that God has stamped upon us as being created in his image. And, and then we have this sort of teamwork approach, this, this joint synergy where, where when we're working together from our areas of strength, uh, you know, the, 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 the sum is greater than, the, or the, the total is greater than the sum of its parts. And, and we've got this dynamic uh, teamwork synergy thing going on. But it's not intimidating because it's not, we're not tying issues of value and worth to those roles. For sure. And, I mean, I, I really agree with what you both said. And I, I don't have a lot to add to that. Um, two quick things I want to point out, though. Um, one is that this is a secondary theological issue. You can be a Christian and have different views on, you know, how this passage or 1 Timothy 12 or 1 Corinthians 14 or even Genesis 3 and some other Old Testament passages uh, work out. And people have different opinions and different churches have different stances in their statement of faith. And, um, you know, generally I think we're representing, a, you know, a, a bit of a view kind of across the board here. Um, 
But it's a good idea to, to kind of wrestle with and kind of say, you know, what is my identity in Christ and what kind of gifts has he given me as who I am and in all aspects, whether that's, you know, be part, of, part of that is wrapped up in whether you're male or female and how you think that works on a spiritual level. Um, the other thing I want to point out, too, that I think is really interesting is I think when we read this in English, we hear submit to your husbands and we hear love your wives and we think submit to your husbands is like way more brutal and it sounds like a worse deal. This word love here, it's the same Greek word agapeo that's used in like John 3.16. It's used all through the New Testament a lot where it's talking about Jesus laying down his life for us, dying on a cross for us. Yeah, and so, it's a sacrificial love. Yeah, it's a, it, so if you, if you ask me and say, hey, would you rather submit or, you know, like love in a way that you would die like Jesus did, I mean, it, I don't actually think it's a better deal. You know, I think it's, they're both like Darren said, saying, you know what, I'm going to put you first, I'm going to put your needs first, and I, I mean, I think you can read Philippians 2 about putting other people first, and that's so important in the context of any relationship, but including a marriage for sure as well. Um, let's maybe move on to this next uh, kind of couplet here, verses 20 and 21, uh, where it talks about, uh, you know, children obeying your parents and fathers um, not embittering, or some translations, I think, say exasperating their children. So, uh, yeah, what would you guys... I mean, this one's a little bit more straightforward, a little less cultural context here, but what would you take from that? Gord? I, I think it is pretty straightforward. You know, children obey your parents. There's not a lot of room to wiggle around in that. Um, I, guess, I guess my encouragement to young people would be um, to, to realize that your parents have been placed there um, as part of a plan. The family is God's plan, and uh, they're there for your well-being. Um, you know, there's an old saying that goes, uh, when I was 15, I didn't think my parents knew anything. And then when I was 20, I was shocked at how much they'd learned in five years. And, and what that means is that, is that you go through a certain stage in adolescence where you're, you're and, and this is natural, it's actually healthy that you're, because it's moving you towards becoming an independent adult. But, you, but if you're not careful in that process, you can really uh, diminish what your parents have to say and, and, and start thinking that they are completely out of touch with life and they don't know what they're talking about. And, they're, you know, and, and I would just encourage you to back off on that a bit and realize that they, you know, they, they do bring some wisdom to the table and uh, you know, try to have a dialogue with them. Young people, all of us, when we're at that stage, we're, we're pretty good at just closing that door of dialogue sometimes and, and uh, realize that your parents have your, have your best interests in heart or at least... They should, and, um, but it also says here that, you know, that, that God is, you honor God by honoring your parents and obeying your parents. The other side of things, that whole, uh, you know, it says, do not exasperate or do not, um, what's the word they use? Embitter. Embitter your children. But look at that last part, or they will become discouraged. And so that tells me that, that one of the key uh, goals as us as parents, as we try to raise our, our children, as we try to teach them, as we try to guide them and educate them, is to do all that in, in a manner that encourages them and not discourages them. So I don't know how, much, how many times you've thought of, you know, a big part of your role as a parent is encouraging your child. Um, so, you know, I think if you take, uh, if you do things in a manner that encourages, it'll, it'll uh, solve a lot of problems. This was actually a pretty um, convicting passage for me. Because, um, and I don't know if any other parents have experienced this, but um, I've found that there are times where I say no to my kids before they've even completed their sentence of what they're asking me. And, uh, 
And, and I realized, I, I just started thinking to myself, what does that do to their spirit? What does that do to their sense of being heard and understood and cared for and, and guided and encouraged? And, and, and so um, this has definitely challenged me. And, and I've been challenged in the past reading things like this and just, I need to listen to my kids more. I need to give them the benefit of the doubt. I need to realize that my kids are human that they're going to make mistakes, that they're going to fumble through things because I'm human and I fumble through things. And, and sometimes I, I catch myself being overly harsh with my kids. Uh, and it's just, and that is our tendency because we can. And Paul is saying we shouldn't. And that's not to say that we shouldn't discipline our children but we shouldn't be, like, we, we shouldn't be permissive, but we shouldn't beat down our kids. We shouldn't oppress them. We shouldn't make them feel less than or, or anything like that. We should be building them up and pushing them forward and, 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 and really helping them achieve everything that God has set out for them to achieve. And ultimately, our, our desire and our goal is to see our kids follow Jesus. And, and I have seen kids that have walked away from Jesus because of how their parents treated them. I'm not saying that all falls on us, like, but that plays a part. I think that's an important part. Um, and, and I think that God would agree with me. Hope. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's a pretty straightforward passage. I say something just really straight up. You know, I've been a youth leader for lots of years, and um, kids, I know, uh, young people who have parents still, I know that you don't think your parents are that smart because maybe they don't know what Snapchat is or they don't know how to, if they did get a Snapchat that you set up for them because they didn't know how, they don't know how to change it so their snaps last more than one second or things like that. Your parents are smarter than you. And there's some, there's some odd cases where, you know, there's some difficult situations and stuff with parents, but your parents Maybe not at Snapchat, but at things that matter in life, life experience, they've just done it a lot longer than you have, and they're smarter than you. Listen to them. I, I think Avril left the room, which is really a bummer because I want her to be catching this. She'd be listening to me. But your parents know some stuff. You know, honor them. There are cases where, you know, your parents might be teaching you things that oppose what you read in Scripture and your relationship with God. And in that case, remember that God is your, God's your daddy. He's your ultimate master. He's the Lord of your life. We're going to be getting sad a little bit more later, but you know, in all the other cases, this idea, this word obey, you know, it's the same as when the storm obeyed Jesus, when Jesus calmed the storm with his voice. It's, a, it's an act of listening and, and not just obeying out of obligation, but actually listening and paying attention so that you can gain wisdom from the older, wiser people that God has permanently affixed into your life situation. It's the same. Parents, your kids should know that you're wiser and smarter, not because you flaunt it over them, not because the, you, you make them feel it, but because you offer them wisdom and encouragement that represents that well. And one thought I had about this embittering thing, I, I've seen this happen a lot, and I, I know, like, I talk about parenting, and you're like, yeah, Ryan, you've been doing this for eight and a half weeks, you know, what do you know? But one thing I've seen a lot is just parents who just nitpick and focus on the, the small little hills in life that you can just let go. Parents, one thing I want to say is you are not trying to replicate yourself in your kids. And if you are, you should stop. Your kids aren't you. They're unique beings that God's created to follow him and have relationship with him, and they're going to look a little bit different. And that's good. 
You know, maybe you did got certain marks in school, or maybe you have certain etiquette, or maybe you played certain sports, or wish you went pro in certain sports, and you're trying to live that vicariously through your children. You're supposed to be raising future adults who are themselves who follow Jesus. I've seen parents lose their kids so much by focusing on things like having their elbows on the table or not during supper. And I'm not saying don't discipline your kids. You should be strict and you should teach them and guide them. But focus on the things that matter and let some of the little life battles go. Let it, let it fall by the wayside and say, you know what, this isn't a, a big spiritual issue just because my kid's a little different than me. And you'll find it interesting when you let your kid be themselves because kids a lot of times are a lot more idealistic and, and extreme. You might see that their views on generosity or their views on service and things like that are pretty convicting and challenging. We see that in our church where kids are serving and serving at the church and volunteering, and oftentimes parents aren't doing as much. And, and you should be encouraging your children to do that and actually learn from them as well rather than embittering them by focusing on the little nitpicky details. And I, I know I say this, I'm eight and a half weeks in, and I say this too because we post these on YouTube, so I'm, years from now, if I'm doing this, if I'm, you know, if I'm exasperating my child, focusing on little things, he can pull out your phone, grab me in the hallway, turn to this point in the video and say, Ryan, you better check yourself. Because you're, you're being a jerk to your daughter over things that don't matter. Push her towards Jesus, like Gord said, encourage her. Um, we're going to hop into this last chunk here about slaves obeying earthly masters and masters um, providing for their slaves. And talk about this relationship a little bit in the cultural context it was written in. And, and then that will kind of bring us to the end of the passage. Mm-hmm. Really interesting, because this whole passage is... Uh, important to look at the cultural aspect of it because the, the, the man of the house, the husband of the house, he was the only person in, in first century Roman times that was actually viewed as a person. The wife was not viewed as an, a whole person. The child was not viewed as a whole person even after they became an adult. And slaves were not viewed as people. And, and, and so it's really interesting that Paul writes to all of these people and gives them personhood. So when, when Jesus dies on the cross and, and he transforms us, and now there is no slave, there's no free, there's no man, there's no woman, we're all equal, that, that is radical. When the original readers were reading this, that was a mind blow for them. Because none of these people, wives, children, or slaves, had any rights at all. They, they were not people. And, and, and so you have to understand, Paul, Paul, Paul is going so countercultural in that sense. Yet at the same time, he's maintaining the culture because the family and the household was so important in Roman society. That was, that was the society. It was how important the family was. And, and, and yeah, Rome rose and fell on their families. And, and, and slaves were considered part of the household. And, and, and it's really interesting because just before this passage, Paul is talking about us living holy lives. And the hardest place to live a holy life is in your home. Because that's where you allow your defenses to go down. That's where you can be yourself. That's where everyone pushes each other's buttons a little bit more because we know what each other's buttons are. It's really hard. And so he's going there as well. And, and, but I, it's just kind of wild when you think of the cultural aspect of it that back then, Paul was giving rights and personhood to wives and children and slaves. And, and when we read slaves here, 
it's, it's a little bit different than, than what we would necessarily um, think of right away when we hear the word slave. We think of modern day slavery, you know, 200 years ago, Africans being brought over on the ships and, and, and the horrible things that happened. And, and, and that is not the slavery that was in Rome. It was slightly different. Um, and it's really interesting because in Exodus, uh, God talks about how anyone who kidnaps a person to make them a slave should be killed. And, and, but so in Roman times, slaves were either prisoners of war or people that actually sold themselves into slavery so that they would have a, a better life than they did because um, slaves were a part of the household. They were taken care of partially and, and, um, and were better off than extremely poor people at the time. And so people would actually sell themselves into slavery. Um, and, and so it was slightly different. It wasn't racially motivated. It wasn't anything like that. And after uh, just about a decade, slaves actually had the opportunity to be emancipated. They could either um, buy their own freedom or, or sometimes masters would just allow them to be free after a certain period of time. And that um, was... That was the Roman code, right? I mean, the, that was the, the Roman Jewish code. code was the Jewish six code, years. Yeah, six years on the seventh year, you, you let them be free. Sorry. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, and, and so, so the culture was a lot different. Slavery was huge as, a, as an economic um, pillar for Roman culture as well, where a lot of cities, a quarter of the people in the city would be slaves. Um, Ephesus it was actually almost two to one slaves to masters. And, and so it was really interesting because I know a lot of people that have issue with Paul telling, telling slaves to actually obey their earthly masters and saying, Paul is saying slavery is good and he's supporting it and the Bible is a terrible thing because it supports slavery. And, and not at all. Paul knew that if he said slaves revolt, the whole system would go down. Christianity would go down. And, and, and he realized that. But he... he still subverts it and says, treat slaves as your fellow brothers in Christ. It says, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. That was never in anybody's consideration as a master. To treat a slave with fairness and justice, that makes no sense unless they're a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. And, and, and so, and, and that, that idea is what led to the abolition of, of, of slavery in, in 200 years ago with William Wilberforce, where, where it, it's laid the foundation to the end of something atrocious that happened. And, and so, so when we read this, it is slightly different than anything that we can understand today as to then. Um, but yeah, he's saying, you are a person who is to be held accountable for what you do. That was something radical. Slaves weren't held accountable for their actions. They weren't seen as actual people. How could they be held accountable? But he says that anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. There's no favoritism. And, and he says that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord. Slaves didn't get an inheritance. They, weren't, they had no right to an inheritance. But Paul says, no, you're, you're worth more than that. But and then he turns it on the masters and says, you also have a master. So treat these people well. Very, very different idea going on there. Yeah, thanks, Darren. Um, you know, a lot of people look to Christianity when it first came on upon the scene as, a, you know, they wanted it to be a, a, a cultural revolution, a social revolution, a military 
revolution. A lot of people were disillusioned because Jesus, as the Messiah, didn't lead them in a revolt against, against Rome. Um, Christianity is incredibly revolutionary, but at first and foremost, at its heart, it's a spiritual revolution. And Jesus said, there is this huge issue that all humans, and, and ironically, it's a, it's a slavery issue, uh, spiritual slavery, all of us were slaves to sin and to Satan. When, uh, when our predecessors walked away, uh, they in, 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 in essence, they committed treason and sided with the enemy. And then, as a result, fell under the, the penalty that that enemy uh, had reserved for, that, for him. And so Jesus said, um, this, is, this is what I've come to accomplish first and foremost, is to, to set you fee, free, to redeem you, to purchase you back into right relationship with me, to break the chains of slavery that spiritually that are upon you, because those have eternal consequences. And, and then, then it's a matter of, of, as we're created as new creatures in Christ and we're gifted and, and given the Holy Spirit, then we become salt and light in the earth, and, and God works from the inside out. And, and so like Darren said, um, the slavery that we know of and whatnot, a lot of the principles behind the abolishment of that uh, were very much scripturally based. This whole concept of, of all men are equal, all, all people are equal uh, before God was huge in ultimately putting an end to some of this slavery in, in most parts of the world. And so, but God changes from the inside out. And so, does God, does God, is he concerned about slavery? Absolutely. Uh, but ultimately, initially, primarily, it was this, this slavery that all of us were under uh, that had eternal consequences. Yeah, like, uh, Christians should always be concerned about social justice issues. You know, there, there is still slavery that happens today. There, there's, um, you know, a whole human trafficking issue that we have. Um, climate change. There, there are so many different issues that we, we as Christians should care about. Abortion. But the primary concern is where people are spiritually. Because none of those things will right themselves un, un, until... Christ is Lord. Sorry, that's another one of You're those. You're doing that thing again. Yeah. I, I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. I, I End agree. sentence. Yeah. Great points, guys. I think, I'm not going to comment specifically on the slavery thing. I think you guys covered it pretty well. One thing I'll say is, one of the reasons at FBC we're so passionate about people reading the Bible and reading it well and, and kind of interpreting it well is, you know, first and foremost, for your own spiritual well-being, we think it's one of the most life-giving things you can do is dig into the Bible and, and find truth, what it actually says, not what you want it to say, not what someone says it, it says, you know, not our opinions this morning, but what it actually says and what God's communicating through it. Um, that's important on a spiritual level, but it's also important on a global scale because this passage, along with other passages, have been handled poorly, and, and we, for all time, and, and still today, we've seen men be use this as an excuse to be a jerk to their wife. You know, we've seen slave owners used to use passages like this, like modern-day slave owners used to use passages like this, and maybe still do to justify that. You know, people have used Scripture to justify some horrible things, and it's just not really what it's saying. And that's why we always encourage you, when you come to a difficult passage, slow down. One of the most important rules of, of hermeneutics is to understand the context and, and to read 
tricky passages in the context of the whole Bible. And I mean, you read this verse about these verses about slavery, and you read the rest of the Bible, and you understand pretty quickly, you know, God isn't saying, oh, you know, we should have slaves like people do nowadays. Uh, that's not the type of love that we see expressed through the pages of Scripture. Um, I guess we've shared a lot of thoughts this morning, and I didn't say this in the first service, but if you guys ever, like, you know, after we're talking about this, if you have any questions or want some further clarification or discuss it a bit, I mean, we're always available today, anytime. Um, but maybe by way of, you know, kind of wrapping this up, um, like I said, we've given a lot of thoughts. Maybe uh, we could each just offer our kind of our, our takeaway. Here's, you know, we read Colossians 3.18 to 4.1. Here's the big idea for the day. So what would you guys say your kind of takeaway from this passage is? Yeah, I, I have two. And, and so uh, my first and foremost one is... I said is, one. I, well, too bad. Um, <laughs> when he pauses like this after his first one, just go. <laughs> yeah, it must be done. Uh, the first one is that Jesus is Lord over everything and everyone. And, and you look at this over and over again in this passage. It says, you know, as is, why submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. You know, um, do this with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord, working for the Lord. You have a master in heaven. Jesus is Lord over all of this. And so in all of these relationships, it doesn't matter what area of the relationship you're in, Jesus is Lord. And, and, and so the takeaway for me, the first takeaway for me is, is Jesus Lord of my life? Because if Jesus isn't Lord of my life, then there's an issue. If I claim to be a Christian and he isn't master, then I am not. And, and so I need to wrestle with that. And, and I think that we all do. Um, the second takeaway is, is that... Sorry, I'm, I'm building to it. Um, pausing. Just go, <laughs> Don't, don't, don't. Um, the second takeaway is that the, the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is countercultural no matter what culture we're in. Because when you read this, at the time what Paul is saying, where he's saying, you know, slaves, you have a choice in how you act. Children, you have a choice in how you act. Women, you have a choice in how you act. Husbands, household leaders, you have a responsibility. That was radical. That was a change. And now when we read this in our culture, where it says wives, submit, children, obey, workers, work well, that's a cultural upheaval as well. And, and, and Jesus, Jesus messes with our preconceived notions of what is right and what is wrong, and, and culture is always secondary to Jesus. How I read the Bible, my opinions shouldn't change what Scripture says for me. What Scripture says for me should change my opinions. It's what Ryan said earlier probably a little bit more eloquently, but For that's sure. the takeaway. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll come uh, from a little different angle on a takeaway, and I'll say you know, there's lots of things in this life that try to um, cut you down, to try to tell you that you're not valuable, that you're not worthwhile, that you're not as important as others, that you're, uh, you know, that you are defined by all these things that the world tells you define you, and, you, and then it tells you that you just don't measure up. And I would encourage everybody to find their value, their identity, their worth, their position in Jesus Christ. Because in Christ, your value, your worth 
absolutely can't be improved on. You're, you're created in the image of God. You're a child of the King. If you've placed your, your faith and trust in Him, you're adopted into His family. You're, you will reign with Christ forever. And h- how, do you, uh, how do you not sit securely in an identity like that if you fully embrace that and wrap your head around it? So just secondly, uh, tied right in with that, that's how you view yourself, your identity. But then as you look out through your eyes at others, uh, be viewing them in the same way as, as infinitely, eternally valuable creations created in the image of God, greatly loved and greatly valued by God. And regardless of their, their gender, their, their uh, age, their, their race, their social or economic situation or standing, uh, you know, they're absolutely valued and loved by God and equal to you. Okay, I've got three. Um, just kidding. I got one. I spent a lot of time in this text this week, and um, I guess what I'm about to say, I don't want to scare anyone, but I also want it to give people hope. Uh, not, don't, like, I'm not going to say anything that intense, but what I mean is this. When we encourage people to read the Bible, I believe that it can, can be such an impacting, life-changing text that even a child can grasp and get truth out of. But I also think it's something that when you're 90 years old, you've read through the Bible tons of times, you can continue to dig deeper and deeper and deeper. And this week, you know, I really dug into some of the original language. Um, It's written in Greek, if you don't know. And uh, one thing that I just found fascinating, um, Darren was kind of referencing it, so it's actually similar to one of his takeaways. I think it might have been takeaway number seven or something. You're welcome. um, Whenever you see the word Lord and Master throughout this text, uh, and it comes up nine times, it's the Greek word uh, kurios. And what that means is it means someone to which something or someone belongs. So it's ownership. It's not just leadership. It's not authority. It's ownership. And uh, when it's talking about slaves and masters, it's talking about that. Masters owning their slaves. When it's talking about the Lord, it's talking about this kind of owner relationship with us. Except, and this is going to be similar to what Darren said in verse 23, which I love this verse, and this is kind of what this text comes down to. And it says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, that word kurios, where he's owner. But then this is the one time where it talks about masters, and it says human masters, where it doesn't use that Greek word. The only time in the whole text. And what Paul's doing there is he's not just using different words, but he's drawing a distinction. He's using wordplay to show that God is elevated and we're not. And I think what this text is saying is saying, whatever you do, wives, husbands, kids, slaves, you work at a job, you play a sport, you do whatever you do, Do it as though you're doing it for Jesus. You weren't created just to please your wife or your husband. You weren't created just to make your boss happy. You weren't created to make your friends happy. You were created to serve Jesus and to have this lifelong relationship with him where you honor him and you experience the depth of his love. And when you do those, I mean, I think you're going to be a good husband. I think you're going to be a passionate worker. You're going to do well in these other areas of your life. But when you put those first, I think you're kind of putting the cart before the horse and our eyes should be on fo- uh, focused on honoring Jesus. And when we do that, we'll raise our kids well, we'll honor others well, and, and we'll experience the depth of his love as he truly is Lord and owner of our lives. Um, anyways, let me just pray and uh, hope you guys have enjoyed this morning. God, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you for this text, and, and thank you that we can engage with your words. We love you so much and just ask that Uh, These words this morning that we've read from the Bible would just continue to shape our lives so that we can experience your love more and be such a good representation of your love and your grace and your compassion to this world. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen. Have an awesome week, guys. We'll see you next week for the last week of Colossians.